2: And uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important
1: Damian Luller.
2: That was for Seattle
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just to name a few Welcome to Sports Business Radio Now, here's Brian Berger well, thanks for joining
2: us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, another jam-packed episode for you. And Sports Business Radio is powered by Molka Sports. Find them online at M-A-L-K-A-Sports.com. My guest this week, Steve Phelps, the president of NASCAR. They just started the season with a historic clash at the Coliseum event at the LA Coliseum. They dropped a racetrack. On top of a football field. It was a huge success. Now Daytona 500 is coming up on February 20th. We're going to go inside the business of NASCAR with Steve Phelps. This is not your grandpa's NASCAR. They've got Michael Jordan, Pitbull, Floyd Mayweather, Emmett Smith as owners of teams. Bubba Wallace is involved in probably the sport's biggest star. They've banned the Confederate flag. They've got new cars. I think you're going to find this an interesting interview. I know I did. So stay tuned for Steve Phelps, president of NASCAR on our show this week. I'm joined by executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you?
1: I am doing great. And I agree with you. I mean, NASCAR is growing and changing and making some some needed changes to the history of it, new cars. And that that USC uh, at the Coliseum event was just fascinating. It looked awesome. Sounded great. Uh, yeah. NASCAR is doing some good stuff.
2: All right. Let's recap Super Bowl. I just got back from Los Angeles. I was at Super Bowl 56 at SoFi Stadium, Rams, Bengals. Uh, a few observations. Number one, SoFi Stadium is the nicest sports venue that I've ever been in, Griggs. It is, I mean, I tried to figure out a way to describe it. It's like a four seasons or a Ritz-Carlton hotel um, that hosts sporting events. And The video board is, I I love how it wraps around. Usually in a stadium, you have like a big board um, either hanging from the middle or you've got two on the ends, this wraps around. So from any seat in the stadium, you can see the video board and it is impressive. The sound is great. You know, every seat is really good. The concourses are wide. There's lots of bathrooms. The food was pretty good. They didn't jack up. The prices too much for Super Bowl, and then they've got, I think, four levels of suites. And, <laughs> Griggs, I happen to be on the private suite level. So, I mean, you see LeBron James walking around, Guy Fieri, Charlize Theron, um, Toby Maguire, Jennifer Lopez, and Ben Affleck. I mean, it was just a who's who of people at this Super Bowl in Los Angeles that had been 30-plus years since the Super Bowl had been in Los Angeles and you could just feel it was a big happening. And then you put the Pepsi halftime show on top of that. And, you know, a lot of people are saying that was one of the best halftime shows ever with Mary J. Blige and Eminem and Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. And, you know, to be there and see it is phenomenal. But I'll tell you as an event organizer to see them, Basically put that entire set together and then take it down in the span of 20 to 25 minutes is unlike anything I've ever seen before. I mean, those people, they had hundreds of people on the field putting that thing up and taking it down. And you've got to be ready for the start of the third quarter. Unless you're there at the game, you don't truly appreciate all the work that goes into that halftime show, Griggs.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it looked amazing, and Sofi shows so well, and the drone flying over out, you know, showing the lake and the outside of it. But man, I tell you, you're right. Those those halftime shows and the crew that it takes, as we were talking with Peter last week, to put this stuff on is fascinating, and how they do it so quickly and it's rehearsed. They know where to go. This guy goes here, this girl goes here, and they just know what's going on. It's uh, it is truly an epic presentation, and it's it's why the Super Bowl is number one. It's the biggest event, and it shows. You saw it in first in person.
2: Yeah, I mean it was it was phenomenal. Um, I posted some clips of the entire thing on our Twitter feed at SB Radio. If you want to see like what's it like to be in the stadium and see that being put together and then taken apart, um, and then on our uh, Instagram feed, I posted a picture with Peter O'Reilly, who put the Super Bowl together. He was our guest on last week's show. I got to see him in person after a few years of just seeing him uh, on Zoom. So that was really nice. I was at a press conference with Roger Goodell and I met Larry Fitzgerald from the Cardinals. I'm going to be working on some things with him in the next year. Um, it was fun. It was good to be around people. I saw some friends like Darren Ravel on Radio Row, Joe Favarito. Um, So it was fun to be around people. It was the first time in two years that I've been out to a, a big mega event like that. There were lots of parties. I will tell you this. The media party, so every year at Super Bowl, the host committee, and this was Los Angeles, puts on a media party. And typically, it's at an event space, and it is, you know, booze and some good food and people just sit around and, and, you know, catch up with each other. Griggs, this year will be the media party to top all media parties. They shut down Universal Studios just for us. So we arrive... And literally, it's like a few hundred of us in the park. And if you've ever been to Universal Studios, usually you're waiting in line for two to three hours for Jurassic Park and Harry Potter and Transformers and all of these other rides, even the back lot tour. There was no one there. They were handing out free ice cream. They had open bar. They gave gifts at the end, including I got a Harry Potter wand for my daughter. Like, (laughs) this was, we were all like 12 year old kids immediately as we got onto the universe a lot and had no lines to go on all the rides, some multiple times, and, you know, walking around eating free ice cream. And I didn't partake in the booze part. Others did. There were people line dancing. But when you have an experience like that, that's going to ingratiate you to the, uh, LA host committee and make your experience at Super Bowl pretty darn good.
1: Well, that's why, you know, hosting it in LA, there's just no shortage of entertainment and options to do things. And uh, I mean, wow, that's such a, that's like the dream, you know, go to Disneyland or Universal and have no lines, get to go on all the rides all day long and have the food. I mean, it sounds awesome.
2: I mean, I was telling the people I was with, I was like, this is the universe giving me one back because so many times I've been to those theme parks and you get like four rides in it a day, five rides in it a day, because you're waiting two to three hours for the line. And this was just like, the only thing I can even relate it to is after 9-11, I happened to be doing a project for Nike and I was at Disney World in Orlando. And it was the same thing because it was right after 9-11 and people were worried that theme parks were going to be targets. There was no one there. It was still open, but there was no one there. So I had a day to kill before my Nike project started. So I was like a little kid. I was getting pictures with Mickey and Minnie. I was riding any ride. There was nobody there. So this was kind of the same thing, except for, you know, we didn't have to worry about post 9-11. And uh, I was with some friends. So it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I can add to the equation. I mean, tons of stars at the game. Um, so if I, was a star in and of itself. It was really cool to be there. I'm going to be at the next Super Bowl in Arizona because I'm helping with that a little bit because I'm from Arizona and I know the organizing committee and that's part of the reason I'll be working with Larry Fitzgerald going forward. So um, it was really fun and it was great to see everyone and I'm glad I went. I was a little hesitant about going, but uh, really glad that I went. Now, tons of people watched it on TV. So Griggs, NBC had the game. And it was watched by 112.3 million viewers. That's more than I thought would tune in. I was around 100 million, Mark. Uh, The most watched Super Bowl ever was the one I was also at, Patriots and Seahawks in 2015. That was close to 115 million viewers. That's still the record. But this one was up 14% over last year's Super Bowl with Kansas City and uh, Tampa Bay, which is a little bit surprising. I know it's in L.A., But, you know, that's Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, two of the faces of the NFL. This is Matt Stafford and Joe Burrow, who are big stars, but they're not Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. And this one still got a lot more viewers, more than 14 percent than last year. So were you surprised by that number?
1: I was because we were talking, like you said, the week before. Roughly around 100, we were kind of guessing. So 112, nice little bump. Um, NBC did a great job. It looked great and sounded great. But, uh, you know, I think maybe too, it's kind of the first full Super Bowl since COVID were full crowd, full everything, full production. So I think that probably got people excited to tune in.
2: Yeah. And as, you know, Peter told us on our show last week, Peter O'Reilly, you know, this was about 70,000 plus. They could have gone to 100,000, but they didn't so it made it for a little bit more room to, to move around, which was great. Again, big concourses at SoFi stadium. Um, I helped build a venue years ago, uh, what's now the Moda center in Portland. So I'm always looking at things like this. Do you have enough bathrooms? Do you have enough concessions? Are the concourses wider? How's the, how's the sound? You know, these are all things that I thought SoFi did a great job with. Um, and then Griggs, we had our bets. We made our bets with Underdog Fantasy, our new official gaming partner. And uh, I didn't do so well. I did win one of my bets. So I had Stafford to throw more picks than Burrow, which he did. And then I had Joe Mixon beating Cam Akers in the in the rival uh, matchup. So Joe Mixon had to have 12 and a half more yards rushing and receiving than Cam Akers of the Rams. And he did. Um the over didn't hit with uh, Cooper Cup, who was the MVP. He had a great game, but he didn't have over 100 yards. Um, and I won the Burrow over one yard, obviously. And then I won with um, Jamar Chase hitting his over as a wide receiver. But I lost with Cooper Cup getting the yards. How would you fare?
1: Yeah, so I obviously won the Joe Burrow over one yard, so yay me! And then my second one, the only other one I won was uh, Matthew Stafford. He ran for that one run over five yep. yards, so that was my yep. two.
2: And that was early in the game because I had him on one of my bets, and I'm like, good, we got that in the bag already. Like, you know, this is this is a good start. And then that second half, after the first play of the second half, the big play from Burrow to T. Higgins, both teams just marched up the field and really didn't do anything until the end of the game when the Rams came down and scored, which happened to be right below me. So I was in the end zone right above the Bengals end zone. So when Cooper Cup made that catch, uh, that was right below me. And then the other cool thing is on Monday, I went to the Sean McVay and Cooper Cup press conference. And again, I was with Larry Fitzgerald for a little bit and Fitzgerald and Cup ran into each other. And you talk about two world-class Hall of Fame receivers and it was kind of game recognizing game. It was fun to see their interaction, but Cooper cup is not a big guy. Like Larry Fitzgerald is a big dude. He is big for a wide receiver too. And Cooper cup, when I stood next to him, I was like, wow, this guy runs routes and gets open. Like nobody's business. He just put up one of the greatest seasons for a wide receiver ever. Um, Really? He and Jerry Rice are the only ones that have ever had a season. Like the one he just had, But he's not that. Like, if you just saw him walking down the street, you'd be like, oh, okay, you know, nothing to really be uh, in awe of. Again, like a Larry Fitzgerald, who's just a physical specimen, or DK Metcalf, or someone like that. But Cooper Cup, man, that guy gets it done when it needs to be done. And how about the no look Matt Stafford pass to Cup in the fourth quarter? With the game on the line, that was a Patrick Mahomes-esque no-look pass.
1: Man, it sure was. And that, that final drive, I mean, wow, what a drive with uh, Stafford and Cup. I mean, they just absolutely said, okay, we're going to go win the Super Bowl. You go out, catch balls, I'll throw them where you need them, and here we go. And that was just such a fascinating drive. I was just like blown away how, how they marched down the field and just the, the, the ball Stafford threw. I mean, he was thrown between three defenders and just right where he needed it with Cup. It was fascinating to watch. Great drive.
2: Well, and then, look, the two big defensive guys that the uh, Rams have, Aaron Donald and Von Miller, they got pressure on Burrow at the end on that last drive when they needed to. I mean, everyone in the stadium thought that Burrow was going to march them down and they were going to at least kick a field goal. It was going to be 23-all, and we were going into overtime. And, you know, they got after Burrow on that last possession by Cincinnati, and I'm not sure why you would throw on fourth and one, Like, I just want to have these coaches run the ball on fourth and one and keep the drive alive. But, you know, that's not what happened there. And you saw that Miller and Donald got through and and that was it for Joe Burrow. And that was it for the Bengals. And, you know, honestly, just with the eyeball test, if you're just looking at the body of the game, the Bengals played the better game and they had more big plays and they probably should have won the game, but they didn't manage it very well at the end. And. They didn't capitalize on those huge plays at the beginning of the second half. And, you know, you don't see Joe Burrow lose those games too often. By the way, the Bengals did cover. So four and a half was the spread in most sports books. And it was twenty three twenty, so they did cover. Um, But someone like Mattress Mac, who put nine and a half million dollars on them on the money line, so that means they had to win outright. And both you and I predicted they were going to win outright, but we didn't put nine and a half million dollars on it. You lose. So uh, you win if you had him with the four and a half points. You lose if you had him to win the game on the money line outright.
1: Yeah, it was uh, overall just a fun game. I mean, my wife and I and and son watched the whole thing start to finish. The halftime show was great. NBC, Al Michaels and Collinsworth did great. The coverage was awesome. I loved it. It was a great, uh, great Sunday afternoon for sure.
2: Yeah, and it might be the last game at NBC for Al Michaels. Probably is. Many people, including our friend John Oran from the Sports Business Journal, have Al Michaels going to Amazon for their Thursday night football coverage. So we'll see what the future of uh, Al Michaels is. But uh, I hope you had fun with Underdog Fantasy. Um, And our show this week is presented by Underdog Fantasy. They're the fastest growing fantasy app ever released with investors that include Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, and Adam Schefter. Underdog Fantasy is going to hand out millions of dollars in prizes this year with daily fantasy sports competitions like basketball, daily drafts, and pick em. Even rivals, we played that. We just talked about that with the Super Bowl. I pitted uh, Joe Mixon and Cam Akers against each other. Download the app today and enter the code SBR. And Underdog Fantasy will match your first deposit of up to $100. I had a lot of people reach out to me this last week after we announced Underdog Fantasy as our official gaming partner. And they're like, dude, I got a hundred bucks to use on the Super Bowl, so they had fun with it. They put their hundred in. Underdog Fantasy gave them a hundred, and they had two hundred bucks to have fun with uh, during the Super Bowl. So you know, lots of NBA games to pick from, and NHL, and lots of other things coming up. So uh, we're excited to be working about Underdog Fantasy, and then the other thing, Griggs, I got to tell you, so LA was hot. It was record-setting heat. The game was the hottest Super Bowl on record. I think 84 was the previous record for Super Bowl. This was 87. Thank God for my Roan apparel. Because, again, Roan helps me be comfortable, and it wicks away the sweat. And, you know, I wore my Delta Peak polo, my blue one. I posted a picture on uh, Twitter to the game. It's my navy blue Delta Peak polo I brought. My uh, coconut husk one. I had my white one. I had my guru pant that I was wearing. I had my training hoodie. Like, if you looked in my suitcase for my trip to Los Angeles, um, it was all my own clothing. And like I said, thank God because it was hot, so I needed those polos and comfortable clothing to get me uh, through the weather there. So um, you don't expect to be out in February, and I mean I'm not wanting to be in the snow. But I also didn't expect almost 90 degrees. So thank God for Roan. And, you know, again, another great partner of Sports Business Radio. And if you use the promo code SBR20, you're going to save 20% off your purchase at Roan. So go to Roan.com. That's R-H-O-N-E.com. And you're going to save 20% when you use the promo code SBR20. Griggs, uh, what was your favorite Super Bowl commercial? I wasn't able to watch the commercials because I was in the stadium. So what were some of the best ones?
1: Yeah. Um, Early observation is, man, they used the celebrities. There was a lot of celebrity endorsements, um, big time uh, presence of celebrities on the spots. They all look great. Production value was awesome. Lots of good good music and good uh, production. But I think uh, NFL did well. They did a whole two minute one uh, called Bringing Down the House where the kids were playing a video game and kind of the game comes to life in the house and wreaks havoc on the house. And that was really, really done well. Lots of stars in that one. Um, Another one of my favorites was Caesar's Sportsbook had uh, The Manning Family. And uh, they were—they were all sitting around a dinner table and uh, they took a little stab at the uh, legendary, quote, quarterback Cooper Manning, who never played. (laughs) So that was kind of funny. Um, And then uh, Doritos, again, does a great one. They're flaming hot Doritos and Cheetos. Uh, There's this lady up uh, kind of in the jungle. She's observing the animals, and she drops her Doritos, and all the animals start eating the Doritos. And then it turns into a beatbox party with the animals, and the sloths are running around at top speed. It, like, changes them into this huge party atmosphere. So that was pretty good. So overall, wonderful commercials. I think the best beer commercial for me... Michelob Ultra uh, was a bowling alley, and they had an awesome cast. Brooks Kepka, Peyton Manning, Alex Morgan, Jimmy Butler, Steve Buscemi. And then Serena Williams comes in at the end, and she's like the baller that just shuts the whole bowling alley down. So that was really well done.
2: That's funny because there was an actual bowling party in Los Angeles uh, right before Super Bowl, and it was hosted by Peyton Manning and Serena Williams. So um, a lot of people went to that. I went to Bloomberg's Power Player Summit. Griggs, this was at Jimmy Goldstein's house. And if you don't know who Jimmy Goldstein is, listeners, Google him. He is a huge NBA fan. He's at all the games. He's very eccentric. Uh, I'm sure you've seen him at your favorite NBA arena. But his house is up in the Beverly Hills. And I can't imagine it having a better view. And it's this modern-looking house that's been featured in Architectural Digest and... You know, we got uh bust up the hill to his house, and there's the infinity pool with the amazing view from the backyard. He's got tennis courts, basketball courts were supposedly uh the players who were in Space Jam came and, and practiced. But uh it is one of the nicest houses that you will ever go to. It was an honor to be there. I did not see Jimmy Goldstein, but I saw People like Arthur Blank, who's been a guest on this show, Stephanie McMahon, who's been a guest on this show, Baron Davis, who's been a guest on this show. There were a lot of former sports business radio guests that were at the Bloomberg Power Players Summit. Uh, Jason Kelly from Bloomberg uh, and his team did a really nice job with the conversations. Again, it felt weird being at an event. I applaud them. It was outdoors and it was under a tent, so at least you had the fresh air going. Um, So you know, really cool to be, that was the first event that I've been at in two years, like, you know, kind of conference slash industry event and it was well done. So congratulations to Bloomberg on that and Jason Kelly and, um, uh, you know, just good to see some people again, but that was hot too. I, you're out in the backyard by the pool. I wanted to jump in the pool at Jimmy Goldstein's house.
1: Yeah, there you go. You should have just said, all right, pool party.
2: <laughs> I was in a suit, so I don't think anyone would have, uh, gone with that oh eric dickerson was there too our guest from two weeks ago he was there signing his book and um you know it was it was a cool event i i liked it and again you cannot beat the house jimmy goldstein google his house it's it's next level all right coming up next steve phelps the president of nascar what do they have in store for the 2022 season the daytona 500 is coming up on february 20th you're listening to sports business radio we'll be right back My guest is Steve Phelps. He's the president of NASCAR. NASCAR just started the season with a historic clash at the Coliseum event at the L.A. Coliseum, dropping a racetrack on top of a football field. Now, Daytona 500 is coming up on February 20th. Steve, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, Brian. It's a pleasure to be with you.
2: All right. Let's start with the Clash at the Coliseum event at LA Coliseum. That was a sight to see. You guys got lots of great uh, attendance around that, big TV ratings. How did that idea come about?
0: Yeah, it actually came about from, uh, interesting, a fourth-generation France family. So NASCAR was started in 1948 by Big Bill France. And so... Ben Kennedy is a fourth generation France member and Ben was talking to some our international guys and they were thinking about potentially looking at doing, you know, building racetracks inside of Coliseums from an international perspective. And so Ben was thinking and shared with uh, another executive here, Steve O'Donnell, his thoughts about potentially doing something inside inside a stadium here in the States. And so they started looking at a couple of places, and they thought the LA Coliseum would be a phenomenal place to host a race um, and build a racetrack. And it, to your point, Brian, was extraordinary. So ratings were were great. Um, the place was packed. Uh, just a, gr- a great feel and an iconic facility that's uh, you know 100 years old. So it was a very Unique and different thing for us, but we were very pleased with the result.
2: Okay, so now that you know that you can do that, might we see NASCAR go to other iconic stadiums slash football fields and drop a racetrack on top of the football field in the future?
0: <laughs> well, we might. You know, the good news is it was kind of a proof of concept. We weren't sure mm-hmm. how it was going to work out. Thought the racing was fantastic, um, and if I'm to be totally honest, better than I expected. So we could. I mean, it's uh, if This was an exhibition event. Um, we typically race you know between 36 and 40 cars in an event um given the size of the racetrack at a quarter of a mile it, it needs to be a shortened field so we used heats and then what they call a main for the you know kind of the main race um, and we had 23 cars on the racetrack so it was a little bit yes proof of concept could we do it the answer is yes might we do it it's something that we're going to continue to explore but for all you know, all the metrics that we had and the KPIs that we looked like we were we were very very happy with the results of the Coliseum.
2: Yeah, one of the stats I saw, nearly 70% of ticket buyers for the clash at the Coliseum had never attended an event at a NASCAR owned track. That's got to be great news for you guys introducing people to NASCAR and getting those hard to get new fans.
0: No, that's huge. I mean it was, from a sampling standpoint to get, you know, I, I think the number actually ended up being 72% had never been to a NASCAR race. Hmm. Um so that's a phenomenal thing and you're in, you know, Southern California and just the buzz that was in the marketplace even with all the noise around obviously the Super Bowl being the following week we were still breaking through the clutter which is extraordinary um, cuz you know LA's a tough market, you know they, they it's hard to break through in a, a city like LA and and we were able to do it and so it's just um you know overall I think the you know, for us, as we think about success, um, and having a, you know, seventy-two percent of the the folks that are attended had never been there is a, that's a phenomenal stat for us, and it's and it's one, frankly, that's very different than when you know we come to the Daytona 500 this week. You know, a significant percentage of the people have been to this facility, um, or had been, or have been to the Daytona 500 in the past.
2: If I'm coming to a NASCAR event for the first time, and again, I know the LA Coliseum is a little different than your typical venues, but if you're trying to attract new fans, what are the top three to five things that you want fans to experience when you come to a NASCAR event?
0: Well, I think really when you come to a race, there's there are lots of, there are lots of things to do for sure. So there, you know, depending on the racetrack. Um, so here in Daytona. We're going to have you know tens of thousands uh, of people that are camping um, inside the facility itself. So that's one fun area to go to. There's a midway at pretty much every racetrack we go to, which has displays and fun things for fans to do. That's a great thing. And then really just the sights and sounds of the, the racing itself. The racing is extraordinary, and it is a take-your-breath-away moment. Um, when the cars come to take the green flag that first time and for people who have never been experiencing that rush of, um, of cars and just NASCAR is a very sensory experience. So you can certainly hear the cars, you know, obviously you can see them, but to smell um, and even, you know, before the race, there are opportunities for fans to go inside the garage and you're not supposed to touch the cars, but I suppose if you wanted to, you could. Um, so it's really, you know, just you're using all your senses and it's really a sensory overload experience. Um, and so that's really it. And the facilities typically are very large. So you think about the LA Coliseum, that's the smallest footprint that we will go to this year. Um, all the other racetracks are significantly larger, um, not just in the size of the racetrack, but the facilities themselves. There's just so much to see, so much to do, and, um, and, you know, fans can take it in and do things that you you really don't do at other sporting events. So, for example, a lot of our folks, um, as I'm looking out the window right now, and it's, you know, it's Tuesday before the race, and the camping is almost completely full already. Um, And so people camp here a lot, and that's kind of a cool experience to camp. At a NASCAR event, not just the Daytona 500, but, you know, when we go to Phoenix, when you go to Auto Club, when you go to Las Vegas, there are opportunities for people to be in our RVs or tents or whatever that might be. It's just a very cool NASCAR-centric experience.
2: Besides that early camping, so you've got Daytona 500. I think most people know it's your, your marquee event of the season for people who don't follow NASCAR. It's the Super Bowl of... NASCAR give us a preview of what we can expect from the Daytona 500 which is coming up on February 20th
0: well my expectations are if you look at the weather forecasts, our weather is going to be glorious so it is right now that's good percent chance of rain i probably just jinxed myself <laughs> um, but it's um, you know green flag will be 12 uh, 240 on on Sunday and the expectation we have a brand new car that we brought to the Coliseum. That was the first time what we call our next-gen car debuted. Um, So this will be the first kind of points-paying or regular season event that we will have with the new car. The new car is extraordinary. It looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic. There's a relevance to the car. It's the most technologically advanced car that that we've ever had on a racetrack. And the real winner here is the fans um, because I think the racing... The racing here at Daytona is always fantastic. You know, there's tight, you know, three wide racing, um, you know, nose to tail, car to car to car, all the way back for, you know, for 13 rows. And that's a very cool visual. So it's, you know, typically three hours and 15 minutes of just action packed at, you know, edge of your seat racing that is, you know, very, uh, you know, kind of emblematic of what happens here at Daytona
2: you mentioned people camping out when it's all said and done and it's race time. How many people are there at Daytona?
0: Well, so we've got general admission. There's a Um, and then you've got, I don't know, probably 20,000 in the infield. And then you've got all the suites and different clubs that we have that are outside of GA. So probably, you know, all told, probably 130,000 or so ish. So it's, there'll be a lot of people here. Um, and they're going to be, treated to just spectacular racing
2: some firsts for nascar you guys were the first sports league to return from the pandemic shutdown also for the first time nascar was honored as the sports league of the year at the 2021 sports business awards that was the first non stick and ball sport to win since 2013 so you guys are on a roll and you know i tell people all the time this is not your your grandpa's nascar anymore
0: yeah i think that's very true and thank you for that brian yeah we were The pandemic was difficult for for everyone and, and, you know, it still continues to be, right? As we, you know, battle, it just seems unending. But I think for us in 2020, being the first sport back, I think was important for us. Um, I think it was important for the country that someone got back, right? To feel some Mm -hmm. normalcy, right? Um, And for us, we came back without fans first, obviously, but then we were the first sport back with fans. Um, and that felt good too, but in between there, um, really the the stance that we took on social justice and the banning of the Confederate flag was probably the singularly most important thing that happened in, uh, in 2020. So yes, it was fantastic to get back to racing because that's what we do. But I think the, the, to your point, it's not, um, it's not your, what people traditionally think of NASCAR. And, and I think we had some stereotypes that were um, that we were able to shed um, that I think are important for the sport. and we have welcomed people and, and we want people to understand that we are a welcoming, inclusive sport. Um, we've always known that. I think it's a surprise to other people. Um, But the actions that we took really signaled to people that, yes, we are different than you think we are, that this sport is open and inclusive. And if you thought this sport wasn't for you, well, you know what? It is for you. Um, And we've heard that again and again and again from new fans that are now calling themselves race fans.
2: In addition to banning the Confederate flag, Bubba Wallace became the first African-American to win a race and cup series since Wendell Scott in 1963. So Bubba Wallace has become a household name. uh, And I think he transcends NASCAR. I think he's a household name, you know, in the pop culture. Now, how has that helped NASCAR?
0: Well, it's helped significantly. Not only is, you know, Bubba, his breakthrough win at Talladega, but Bubba races for his team owner is Michael Jordan. Um, and then also Danny Hamlin, who is the um, kind of minority owner. But Michael Jordan is a big deal for our sport. And Michael coming to our sport was important for us. And so, yes, Bubba is, I think, a, a, a breakthrough star that will transcend NASCAR and get into pop culture uh, on the 23rd of February, so a few days after the Daytona 500. Um, there's a Netflix documentary that profiles Bubba and all, all the things that happened in 2020 and then followed him in 2021. Um, it's a, it's a fantastic series and we're really excited to share Bubba with, um, you know, kind of the rest of the rest of the country and the rest of the world. And I think they're going to see, you know, a, a young man who is, um, who has a huge heart, who is you know, vulnerable and, um, emotional, but he carries himself with, with courage and grace. And that's exactly what he did in 2020. And, um, you know, I think that Bubba has proven so many things to so many people, including that he's a great driver. Um, and that's, that's a great thing for our sport, you know, having the opportunity to spend a significant amount of time with him, um, is, you know, something that I'm very grateful for.
2: One of the things we talk about a lot on Sports Business Radio is how your investors add credibility to your product, your brand, your league. You just mentioned Michael Jordan, co-owner, Pitbull, Floyd Mayweather, Emmett Smith. These are all people who co-own NASCAR teams now. How has that helped grow the profile of NASCAR and give it that credibility that these are very successful iconic people and if they're invested in nascar it's got to speak highly for nascar i would think
0: yeah i think so too brian i think for us if you consider where we were pre-pandemic versus you know where we are today um you know our our, we have a relevance to the sport that the sport didn't have before you know it was great winning sports business journals you know league of the year you know frankly i i think it was deserved um but a lot of it has to do with just the moves that have been made and us being bold in the decisions that we are uh, undertaking and it it is translating to having new ownership a younger and more diverse fan base all these things help with you know the visibility of the sport and how people perceive the sport so you know if we see what's happening from a sponsorship standpoint the sponsors are are really coming back at, at record levels. Um, and there's a rush to get back to NASCAR. And that's the, that's very gratifying for those of us who have the privilege to work here.
2: How have you gotten those sponsors back? What have you done differently that has gotten them to engage at record levels?
0: I think it's really, it's a body of work. Um, and I think the body of work really is, you know, great racing. Um, again, the being the first sport back that, stance on social justice, the banning of the Confederate flag, all those things have resonated well with corporate America. Um, And so the sponsors are just responding to what's happening, right? So ratings are good. Attendance is, is coming back strong. Um, It's just a, everything right now, the sport is in an upward trajectory. And when that happens, the sponsorship, you know, our, our, the guy who adds up our, our, new business, um, our sales group, um, Jeff Wolschläger. Jeff is, he's got the easiest job in NASCAR right now. <laughs> uh, nice enough to, t- nice enough to tell him that I'm joking. Uh, but it's, it is nice to, you know, when the metrics are, are going up and there is a, you know, a relevance and reputation gains, um, for the sport, it, it's just a lot easier, um, for us to attract new sponsors to the sport.
2: You've also got a, Lucrative stable TV deal with Fox, and you know part of growing your sport and your league is being on TV and being easy to find on TV. And it seems like you guys have got that figured out.
0: Yeah, so we have actually two media partners. The first half is Fox, the second half is NBC, and it's a mix of you know over the air with Fox and NBC, and then um, and then on cable with FS1 and now USA. Network And it's, um, they're great. They're great partners, great promotional partners. I mean, you look what Fox did around the pre-promotion of the class at the Coliseum or the Daytona 500. I mean, just record levels of promotion. Um, that is, it's just invaluable for our sport. And then the way they portray the sport on television, you know, and kind of how it is, um, you know, the production value and they're always trying to do more. And, and both are great. And NBC has got, you know, a, a huge um, promotional network given the the reach that they have with all the different platforms um, you know, within that, you know, that um, Comcast, NBC, um, Universal portfolio. So we're very fortunate, you know, that they, you know, obviously it's a, a significant amount of money that they pay to the sport, which feeds a lot of mouths within our sport, but it's really what they do from a promotional standpoint. Um, standpoint and really pushing um, pushing the sport forward, and and we feel it. Um, they're thrilled with where NASCAR is. You know, if, if I was completely honest, you know, in 2018 we we were it kind of touched the bottom, and and since that time we've experienced nothing but growth. Um, feels a lot b- better to be growing than it does to to be contracting.
2: For sure, one of the things I love about the Daytona 500 broadcast is just the inside the car and you feel like you're in there with the driver and, you know, in any sport, I think fans love to be up close to the action is there. Are there some things that you're going to be doing with the broadcast at Daytona 500 to bring us as close to the action as possible?
0: Yeah. And I think there's some real opportunities for us uh, moving forward. The answer is yes. And and you're right, Brian, the camera angles that Fox uses within the car You know whether they're bumper cams looking back um, at this fabulous new car or looking forward um, with cameras inside. They've got driver helmet cams. It's just a very cool kind of immersive uh, experience, Um, and that's fantastic. You know, the one that I love the most is the helmet cam. You like you are literally looking at what that driver is looking at. Um, whether it's the dashboard, he's looking out the windshield, what he's doing with his hands. Um, and that's just a, a really, a really cool thing. The new, the new car, the next gen car allows us some other opportunities, which we will do moving forward. Um, where not for this year, but because there's some supply chain issues, unfortunately, but we'll have cameras in every vehicle, um, in the car, um, hopefully starting, uh, later this year, but if not, um, first of, you know, when we get to the Daytona 500 next year,
2: Steve, before I let you go, what else can we look forward to for the 2022 NASCAR season? We just started talking about, you know, Daytona and, and that's getting you kicked off the right way. What else are the highlights that we should be paying attention to?
0: Yeah, clearly the next gen car. I think that's the single most exciting thing that's, you know, happened from a racing perspective. Uh, in a long time. So we had phenomenal racing last year. I actually believe the racing because of the aerodynamics of this car and kind of how things are set up, we're going to take what was the best racing we've ever had, and it's going to be better. Um, so that's, that's our promise to the fans. The cars look fantastic. We had the boldest schedule we had put out last year in, in 50 years. Um, And so all those new venues that we went to last year are again on the schedule. You know, obviously the clash for the first time we're going to race at worldwide technology raceway in St. Louis at our cup series level. So lots of cool things. Another, what I consider to be a highlight is for the first time we are going to race on Easter and on Easter Sunday night, we'll do, we'll race at Bristol in Tennessee and it will be a dirt race. So the first time we had done that in our cup series was last year um, but to race on Easter Sunday night on a big Fox window, um, I think is going to be spectacular for us.
2: All right. Last question. We talked about bubble Wallace, but if I'm listening to this and I'm a casual NASCAR fan, or I'm not familiar with NASCAR at all, give me three or four drivers teams that I should be paying attention to this upcoming season.
0: Sure. Well, last year I would do the, the last two years champions in our cup series. So in 2020, it was, um, Chase Elliott, who is our most popular driver. And I would say nipping at his heels are, um, our champion, our current champion, um, from 2021, uh, Kyle Larson. Um, but we've got this great slate of young drivers who are emerging on the scene. They're winning races, Bubba Wallace, Danny Suarez, Ryan Blaney, and the list goes on and on and on. And it's, a uh, it's, incredibly exciting to be at NASCAR right now because there's so many different positive things that are happening within the sport. But, you know, people tune in to to watch the drivers, right? Um, The car is going to be really cool. That'll be a cool thing. But it really is about the storylines from the drivers. And it's about the great racing that these guys do where they're just always on each other, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of beating and banging on each other for, you know, for 400 miles 500 miles three or four hours whatever the the time frame may be and and they're all it's it's just a spectacle it's a show that they're putting on so it's really exciting
2: yeah and i the other thing about having young drivers they're really good on social media and they engage with the fans and and i enjoy watching that
0: yeah i think the other thing too and you brought it up earlier brian is you know the fact that you have an emmett smith and a Michael Jordan, a Pitbull and a Floyd Mayweather mm-hmm. jr. And others owners that are coming in. That's pretty interesting too, right? To your point about social media. Well, there's some significant social media followers. I think we saw at the class, there are lots of celebrities that decided to come and, and check it out. Um, and we made some new fans that way too.
2: Okay. If you can get Michael Jordan on social media, you're doing something that no one else has been <laughs> able to do. So we'll, we'll let you work yeah, on man. that, Steve. I'll do my best. (laughs) All right. Steve Phelps, the president of NASCAR. Best of luck with Daytona 500 and the season ahead. I really appreciate you joining me. You guys have some great things going on, exciting stuff. So thanks a
0: lot. All right. Thanks, my friend. you be well.
2: Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio learn more about them online at molkasports.com that's m-a-l-k-a sports.com for brian griggs i'm brian berger have a great week and we'll talk to you soon right here on sports business radio